0: Don't forget, too, this coming Wednesday night is our Christmas Eve candlelight service from 7 to 8 o'clock right here in the auditorium. Everyone is invited. Our children, everyone will be in here for one hour. Uh, Lots of the Christmas music we've been singing for the last month. A short message out of God's Word. And then we'll end the night with uh, our candlelight service. So, looking forward to that. also want to make uh, a couple other reminders with us getting to the end of the year and getting ready to come into a new year that uh, on January the 4th, Sunday, January the 4th, I'll be starting a new series on Sunday mornings, digging into the essentials of our faith and looking at different passages out of the New Testament starting on January the 4th. And then January the 6th, that Tuesday... We start our refuel Bible study back up on Tuesday evenings over in the cafeteria and very much looking forward to that as well as we're going to be finishing out our study of the book of Acts and then diving into some new stuff on Tuesday night. And I'm really in prayer that God will bring out more and more people on Tuesday night to our uh, to our Bible study. Uh, A couple other things starting. On January the 1st, uh, my daily devotion will be going out. All you have to do is visit our website, www.theoasisaz.com, and that will take you right to that daily devotion every day. And so please share that with others, uh, because we want to try to get the Word of God out to as many people as possible in the coming year. So we're excited about all these All right, Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 2, this morning, as we finish up our Christmas series on uh, Sunday mornings, Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 2. We're looking at the visit of the wise men. In fact, while you're turning to Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 2, why don't you go ahead and also find Daniel... The book of Daniel in the Old Testament, chapter 2 as well, towards the end of the chapter. Because I'm going to be referencing something out of the end of Daniel chapter 2 real quickly into the message. And uh, I thought you might as well find that too. So Matthew 2 and Daniel chapter 2. This passage we're going to look at today really describes for us different ways that men and women respond to Jesus Christ. And there's not much difference between the way men and women chose to respond to Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago as there is today. Not much has changed. When you talk, though, about the story of the visit of the wise men in the Bible and, and surrounding the birth of Christ... There has been over the last couple of thousand years a lot of sort of legend, if you will, built into the story of the wise men. Either down through history, people adding to the story or taking things out that things really either aren't there. For instance, just a couple of examples. Like a lot of people in their manger scenes have the wise men right there on the night that Jesus was born or just a couple of days after and that's just not the way it happened the the wise men came several months after the birth of Jesus Christ he was now a, a what would be called a child rather than an infant or a baby in fact you see this difference in the Greek language if you look at the Uh, story of the shepherds coming to visit Jesus from Luke's gospel chapter 2 that we saw last week. They use the word baby there, and it's the Greek word for very newborn infant. The word that Matthew's going to use to describe Jesus today in the visit of the wise men is a child. And it's a word that's used of, of someone that's probably at least six months old and beyond. So you have that discrepancy. Uh, you also have the thing that uh, there were three wise men. And this is never really stated in the Bible. They, the people have gotten three wise men because there were three gifts given. But the Bible doesn't say that there were just three wise men. And then later on in like the 3rd and 4th century, uh, people even gave them names, you know. We don't know what their names were. We don't know exactly how many there there were. And they certainly did not visit Jesus on the very night uh, that he was born or just a few days later. Their visit would have come several months later. So again, a lot of legend built around this. But we want to dive into what does the Bible tell us about the visit of the wise men to Jesus and how can we apply this to our lives. And again, I think it all surrounds just one thing. You see through this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 2 how different people respond to Jesus Christ. Well, let's first begin then in chapter 2, verse 1 of Matthew's gospel. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the time of King Herod, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Who were these wise men? Well, um, they were a specific sort of class of, of scientists, and I don't think that's a, a, a word that we couldn't use here to describe Who are these wise men? In a sense, they were uh, scientists. Uh, In this setting, they were primarily experts in the stars. So we we would probably even use a term like an astronomer to describe who these wise men were. And they came from the Persian region of the world at that time, around Babylon. And people have sort of conjectured over the years... How did these wise men from hundreds of miles away uh, even know that there was going to be a king of the Jews born? And why would they have even been looking for someone like this? I believe it goes back to what we read in the book of Daniel. I want you to turn there to Daniel chapter 2 and I want you to look with me at verse 48 of Daniel chapter 2. I believe that What happened was that God planted Daniel and his people in Babylon for 70 years. And during that time, even though it was hundreds of years earlier than the birth of Christ, they planted the seeds of the coming Messiah and the word of God into that culture. And we know that God elevated Daniel to a great leadership position in Babylon so that this young man had great influence over the leaders of of that kingdom. In fact, we read in Daniel chapter 2 verse 48 that the king elevated Daniel to high position and bestowed on him many marvelous gifts he granted him authority over the entire province of Babylon and made him the main prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. I believe the reason why these wise men of this region were looking for a Messiah, they were looking for a king, they expected him to come was through the influence of one man hundreds and hundreds of years before the actual birth of Christ. And what this reminds us of is the impact that we can have long after we're gone when we focus on the Word of God and sharing the Word of God and sharing the truth of God and the reality of God with people. When that can take hold, those kind of seeds can be planted that we can be long off the scene and yet positive results can still be coming from it. That's one of the great things that we should be encouraged about in the story of the wise men. I don't believe they would have known at all about the coming of a Messiah, about one being born a king of the Jews without Daniel's influence. And it also then gives us even a different perspective on why did God allow his people to come into captivity in Babylon? And why did people like Daniel and his friends and stuff, why did they have to go through this? And why did God allow them then to be elevated to the positions of influence they were? Well, we don't know all the reasons. But I think one reason can be traced to this story now in the Gospel of Matthew. These wise men knew of the birth of a Messiah because of the witness of Daniel himself. So let's go back then to Matthew's Gospel chapter 2. Now they didn't have all the specifics. So obviously for them, instead of going to a place they didn't even probably know, this little town called Bethlehem, they went to Jerusalem. I mean, that's where King Herod was. And and you would just think that, okay, surely if if a king is going to be born, let's start at least in the major city there. Let's start in Jerusalem. So the Bible says that these wise men came from uh, the east to Jerusalem and saying, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? Something significant there. Notice that they said he's born a king. All other kings, leaders in the world, presidents, prime ministers, prefects, whatever you want to say it, they become kings. But Jesus didn't become a king Jesus, because of who he is as the Christ, as the Lord, he was born king. Because he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. So they weren't looking for someone to become king. They were looking for the one who was born the ruler of the Jews. And then notice this. They say, we saw his star... When it rose, there was a perception, there was a discernment, there was an awareness there. Why? Because they were looking for something. They were looking for God to lead them and guide them. And so that's why they saw this star that God was going to use to guide them to Jesus, because they were looking for something. They had expressed an interest in seeing this Messiah in coming and worshiping him. So God was going to make sure that they got there, you see. And isn't it encouraging and interesting at the same time that if these wise men were experts in the stars, that God used the very thing that they were interested in and experts in to guide them and direct them to Jesus? It's the way God works. God's not going to work outside of something that we can't be aware of. If we, like the wise men, truly express an interest in knowing Jesus, in, in knowing him better, and knowing him more, and God, give me guidance and direction as to how I can deepen my faith and deepen my relationship with you, God will use what we get. He, he will use Something that we can grasp, something that we can wrap our minds around, something that we can hold on to. And he will use that to direct us further and further to him. God has used that down through history. He will meet us at our level. He will meet us where we are. Just like he did the wise men. He didn't expect them to somehow be able to grasp revelation that was outside of of their understanding. He used what was within their understanding to bring them closer to Jesus Christ. And God will do the same thing today to us. He meets us where we are. But the reason that they had this discernment, this perception, this awareness that there was some kind of guidance that God was going to give was because they had already expressed an interest in it. They wanted to come from such a far place at such a great cost to see the birth of this Messiah and to to lay their eyes upon and worship the one that was born, a king of the Jews. So God obviously, seeing their heart... And knowing their motivation and stuff was going to make sure they got there. God hasn't changed in 2,000 years. When God sees within our lives that there is truly an interest in spiritual things, in getting to know him better, in deepening our relationship with God, God will give us all the guidance and direction we need. That's where we've got to just trust and we've got to know that God will do it in a way that we can understand it, just like the wise men, experts in the stars. And so God was going to use a star to guide them and direct them to this deeper understanding of who Jesus was. But then notice this, this is the key, verse 2, I think through the entire passage, they weren't just coming to satisfy curiosity. They weren't curiosity seekers. They weren't grandstanders. They weren't just coming to be a part of maybe, you know, what they thought was the next big thing. They clearly gave their intent to those who would listen to them in Jerusalem. When these kings, and that's what they were, they were very important people in in that Part of the world. They they were great leaders in the world. They were considered kings themselves. Their wisdom and their understanding and their knowledge was sought out by others. And yet these leaders, these kings, these wise men said, We have come here to worship Him. That's, That's what they were here for to worship Him. The word means to bow before in reverence and respect. That's literally what the word worship means. And, and this understanding of worshiping God really is the foundation of everything you and I will do in our lives or not do. It will all go back to worship. Because our service and our activity, spiritual activity, and our our priorities and the choices and decisions we make and we don't make are all going to be born out of are we truly worshiping Jesus Christ? Have we come to a place in our life where we may know in our head that he is the Savior, That he's the Lord. But have we truly come in our life acknowledging really who he is and in a sense bowing before him in reverence and respect and living every day in worship of him. That's what these wise men were here to do. They weren't here just to get caught up. They weren't just, oh, I want, I want to see what this baby looks like. I'm just curious. No, no. When they came at such a great cost from such a far place to lay their eyes on Jesus, it wasn't just to become part of something, it was to bow before him and worship him. What you see in this passage is that that's one of the responses to Jesus. The other one is we're going to be introduced to here is to King Herod. And even though in this passage King Herod sort of pretends to be a worshiper of Jesus and feigns worship of Jesus, he's actually someone who is very angry, he's very bitter, he's a very frustrated man, and and he actually has a lot of hatred an antagonism to Jesus because he views Jesus Christ as a rival to him. And you have that response throughout history as well where the human being in their human pride doesn't want even God to be a rival. They want to do what they want to do and it's all about self They don't want God telling them to do anything or not do anything. They don't want to bow before anyone but themselves and therefore they basically live life like Herod. They might even pretend to be a worshiper of God but at the end of the day, they just keep building up a lot of anger and bitterness towards God even if they think that there is a God and they live that way. In fact, Most of the atheists and agnostics that I have met over the years and even most Christians or even people who profess to be Christ who at one time were very faithful to God and and to God's people and to God's house and God's word but now no longer are, most of them, if they were honest, would say that they had gotten to a point where they were very bitter and angry with God over something and that that's how they directed that bitterness and anger, was just pretending and living as if God doesn't exist. Because somehow something happened to them in their life or in someone else's life, and, and they couldn't understand it. How could God allow this? How could God not stop this? And therefore, instead of just trusting God and knowing that they've got to be be willing to follow a God that they don't always understand, this root of bitterness and anger against this God began to grow. And eventually it might get to the point where one would even deny that there is a God or maybe even go around saying, I'm not even sure that there's a God. That's what happens. That's people like Herod. So notice in verse 3, The Bible says when King Herod heard this, he was alarmed. The word means to be agitated, to be stirred up, to be troubled, to be disturbed. And then the Bible goes on to say, and all Jerusalem was alarmed with Herod. Why? Because they knew how Herod was. Herod was a powder keg. If Herod got upset, oh, it wasn't good for anybody to be around. Because Herod was just that kind of a guy. In fact, he had his own family members murdered. Because if he if he thought that any of his family members was going to try to take any kind of power or position away from him, he just had them done. He just had them done away with. He did that with family. He did that with friends. So you can imagine. It's, it's like when we're around somebody that's a powder keg. You know, In one sense, you don't want to always cave to them and let them dictate, you know, how things are around them. But at the same time, you don't want a big blow up all the time either. So you're sort of as we used to say, you know, you're walking around on eggshells because you certainly don't want them to blow because then everybody suffers if they blow. Well, that's basically what this is saying. It's saying, boy, nobody wanted Herod to get upset because when he got upset, people paid for it. And we know later on that many, many young lives paid for it because Herod ordered the murder of children two years and under in Bethlehem because he didn't want any rivals to his power and to his position. So Herod does, the Bible say in verse four, assembled all the chief priests and experts in the law to ask them where the Christ was to be born. He didn't know. He was the king, but he didn't know where the Christ was to be born, but he knew who would, the experts in the law and the chief priests. Now, this group sort of forms another illustration of responses to God. Because as we're going to see here in just a moment, these guys knew exactly where the Messiah was to be born. They had all the head knowledge in the world. They would have been like even people today that can quote you chapter and verse and they can give you every address of every verse that somebody throws out there. They've got Bible knowledge. But when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is an indifference there. There is an apathy there. There's a coldness there. In other words, they gain all this information and they've got all this information, but all this information never translates to a changed life. And as I've shared before, the Bible is clearly not given to us by God for information, but for transformation. God gave us his word so that we could be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And we must all be careful as Christians even of becoming like these other folks who respond to Jesus in this way. And that is we can become like the chief priests and the experts in the law who know the word of God up here. But we primarily have gotten to a place in our life where our our spiritual life is simply an intellectual analytical exercise and we go through the motions of gaining more and more knowledge and understanding but it still never really translates into our life it never makes a difference in our choices in our priorities in our demeanor in our attitudes in our perspectives in all of that it makes no difference that was the other response those three responses are pretty much the way people are today. You're either going to have some people like the wise men, who when you talk about Jesus Christ and talk about spiritual things and faith and spiritual life, it's all about because they just have come to worship Jesus. I think about that even in our local churches scattered throughout the country today. I won't even go beyond our own country. How many people have come into a house of worship today, even in America, and the primary motivation, the primary reason that they are there is they are there to worship Jesus Christ like the wise men did. Are we truly here to bow ourselves in reverence and respect to Jesus Christ? Because there's two other responses. There's the response of those chief priests and experts in the law who just come to church and, and sort of, you know, hang around spiritual things and stuff. And, and they, they keep accumulating knowledge, but it's like Paul said, they're always learning, but it seems like the knowledge of the truth never really gains any traction in their life. Their lives never change. They go through the motions, and they may even appear as spiritual on the outside, But like Jesus even said, and like Paul even said, they honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from God. We have that kind of response to God today as well. And then we have even the pretend, feigned worship of people like Herod, who maybe go through the outward motions too of, you know, worship and desire to worship God But inside, there's a lot of bitterness and anger and resentment against God. Again, the primary responses to Jesus can be found in Matthew chapter 2. So notice, these experts in the law know exactly where the Messiah is to be born. Again, they can quote it from Micah, verse 5. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it is written this way by the prophet, the one who delivers a message from God. Well, if he truly delivers a message from God and you believe this is a message from God, then why aren't you doing anything about it? And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are in no way least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. By the way, the word ruler here means one to be esteemed, one to be listened to, one to have authority over. That's the ruler that's been born. Well, they knew the address of where the Messiah was to be born, but they could care less. I mean, think of the contrast here. There are these wise men who come from Persia, again, at great cost to them personally and from such a great distance. And they're willing to travel hundreds of miles. And these guys who know all this knowledge, they're not willing to walk a few miles down the street to check it out. And God is sharing with us, you know, that contrast. Because again, that contrast is true today. You have people today who will go to great lengths and at great costs to gain spiritual truth and understanding and to grow in their relationship with God. And you've got other people that won't walk across the street consistently to gain any more knowledge. Because again, their relationship with God, if there is one, has become something that's just sort of complacent, apathetic, indifferent. And if you were to ask them spiritual questions, they could give you spiritual answers and they could quote scripture and all of that but that's about where it ends. So notice that in verse seven, Herod privately summoned the wise man because he, he didn't, he didn't want to give away what was really happening here. He, he didn't want to cause too much of a, a stir and he didn't want to bring too much attention to what he was doing because he understood exactly what he was doing. He wasn't interested in finding out where the Messiah was born so that he could really go and worship him. He's going to kill him. So Herod privately summoned the wise men and determined from them when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and look carefully for the child. By the way, the words look carefully are very important. It means to look diligently. It means to gain information with the highest level of accuracy. Accuracy. All of a sudden, Herod was really interested in finding the Messiah. He could have cared less up until the time the wise men showed up. But now he wants to know. And he wants everyone around him to be as diligent. And he wants them to gain this information as accurately and exactly as possible. And I thought to myself, you know, if we could be like Herod and have that kind of desire for for the truth. And not not to be so anxious to gain information for information's sake or to use it for negative things like Herod was going to do, but for positive things. When I look at these words, look carefully in verse 8, I think to myself, I want those words to describe my spiritual life. I want to be somebody that God says, Jeff, you're looking carefully into spiritual things. You're showing a diligence. You're showing an earnestness, an eagerness to gain and grow deeper with me. And you're willing to gain information at the highest level of accuracy. You want to not just gain it. You want it to be right. You want it to be exact. That's exactly Herod's desire in instructing the wise men to go to Bethlehem and check out what happened. And then Herod says, when you find him, inform me so that I can go and worship him as well. Well, again, we know that really wasn't his desire. After listening to the king, verse 9, they left and once again the star they saw when it rose led them Until it stopped above the place where the child was. Notice the word led. To guide, to direct. And again, this is a reminder that when God sees a true desire within any of us. To know him more. To know him better. To gain a greater understanding and knowledge. Not just for it to sit there, but for it to change my life. God will give us the direction and guidance that we need. That's the kind of God he is. That's the way he's always been. When he sees our desire, sincere desire, when he sees our genuine interest, he will make sure we get to the right place so that we can gain more, so that we can grow more. That's exactly what God did with the wise men. And he did it with, a star. And then verse 10 says. When they saw the star once again. They shouted joyfully. I love this. These words shouted joyfully. Mean to delight in God's grace. So don't miss what's happening here with the wise men. They understand as Gentiles. Who live hundreds of miles away from Palestine. That. For God to guide them and use a star and and to allow them to be part of this, this wasn't something that they earned or deserved. This wasn't something because of who they were, that somehow they, you know, had the right and and deserved to be part of this. They realized this was an expression of God's grace. He's allowing us to be a part of this wonderful revelation of Jesus' birth. And that's why they shouted joyfully. It was like, God, thank you. I know you didn't have to send that star to us. I know you didn't have to guide us to, to Jerusalem and eventually to Bethlehem. I know that we didn't have to be ones to, to finally see this, this Messiah with our own eyes and have the opportunity to worship him. But you gave us all this, God, out of your grace. And we are thankful for it, God. I think, again, what a great example to us that when God reveals things to us and allows us to be part of what he's doing, how thankful we should be and how joyful we should be in his grace. Because we don't deserve it, but it's something that God, out of his heart, just allows us to be part of. And are we as thankful to God for his grace in our lives as the wise men were? That's why they shouted so joyfully. And it says, and they came into the house. By the way, that's another sort of clue that this was months away. Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus had planted themselves in Bethlehem, but the manger now and the cave that they were in when Jesus was born has now been substituted. Now they have found a house there to stay in for a while until God moves them somewhere else. As they came into the house they saw the child with Mary the mother his mother and they bowed down and worshiped him I want to emphasize that did you notice that the wise men did not bow down and worship Mary There's no mention of that at all They bowed down and worshiped Jesus. Let's go back. The words bow down mean to fall before humbling oneself. Again, a great example to us. When they found Jesus, Even though they were great and they were kings and they were leaders and they were wealthy and powerful and full of position and prestige, they humbled themselves in front of a baby, a young child, probably six months to maybe a year old. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, think about it. I mean, we see this in manger scenes. But think about it. These, these great men from the east that would have come with all the pomp and circumstance are humbling themselves before a young child because they understand who the child is. The child is Christ the Lord. And then it says they bowed down and worshipped him. Again, it means to fall before in reverence and respect. That's primarily why they came to Jesus. They primarily came to Jesus to worship him. I think it's a question we have to continually ask ourselves. Why are we in church this morning? Are we here for us? Are we here just to gain some more knowledge? Are we here to try to soothe our conscience or something? Are we here to worship Jesus? That should primarily be why we come to church, why we serve, why we minister, why we live, why we share our faith, why we read our Bible, why we pray. It's all fueled and born out of worship. Because all those other things, those spiritual activities that we find ourselves doing, the foundation for it all should be worship. If it's not, then it's not properly fueled. Then there's some other motivation less than worship of why we do what we do. And the wise men give us a great example that everything that we do as a Christ follower should be done because we are coming to humble ourselves and worship Jesus. Then the more familiar part of the story is that they opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. By the way, this word, treasure box is the Greek word sorrow where we get our word thesaurus from, which simply is a collection of valuable and precious things. That's what the word means. And that's what they did. They opened up these collection boxes of very valuable and precious things because if they were going to give this young child something it was going to be something from them of worth, something of value. They, they were modeling what David said centuries earlier when he said, I will not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. If it's for the Lord, then it's going to be something special. It's going to be something of value to me, something of worth to me. I'm not just going to give God my leftovers and that which I have left. I'm going to give him my very best, the wise men. Modeled that. When the wise men came and worshipped, they didn't give Jesus, this young child, just anything. I think that they gave him a collection of their most valuable and precious commodities that they had collected over a lifetime. And they said, it's yours. That's worship. And by the way, it's really cool how God works. If you know the story of Joseph and Mary, you know they were a young couple of modest means. They, they didn't have a lot materially. And yet God was going to send them into Egypt for a while. And, and they were going to have to be out there doing a lot of traveling away from their hometown in Nazareth before they were able to come back to Nazareth because of the threat. Well, how were they going to pay for all that? How were they going to afford all of that? Well, you see, the gifts that the wise men brought were going to help sustain this young family over the next couple months. It just reminds us that God will provide what we really need when we need it. He did it with Joseph and Mary. By sending these wise men and these gifts to them, it was going to allow them to do the traveling And be what they needed to be in the next couple of months. And how were they going to afford it? God was going to make sure that they got the means that they were going to need for the next couple of months. And then it says, verse 12, after being warned in a dream. Warned by God. By the way, very interesting here too. The word warned here means a response to those who are looking to God for direction. That's what it means. In other words, it's a picture of one who's consulting God and saying, God guide us, God direct us. God, what do we do? And so the word warned is that God, in a sense, is responding to their wanting God's direction in their life. Again, that's the way God works. When he sees that we're truly interested in going his way and doing his will and what he'll make sure that we get the guidance and the direction that we need in response to our being willing to come before God in prayer and and talking to God and consulting God and say, God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And so God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And so they went back by another route to their own country. And just like the shepherds, I believe their encounter with Jesus Christ, even though they went back to doing what they had always done and went back to their home, I don't think they were ever the same. Because I personally believe that no one, none of us encounters God at any time. And if we truly allow God to encounter us, we'll ever stay the same. I think there'll always be a change because that's the way God designed it. I know that this pesky system today has been annoying me. I'm sure it's been annoying to you, but you know what? God can overcome all these technical things and can drive a message home to our hearts in spite of all the technical stuff that sometimes we have to deal with. And that's what I'm praying here today. And in spite of all the feedback and junk that goes on every once in a while, because it's just, it's technical stuff, it's going to give us problems at times. That God's voice has been clearly heard through his word today. And what it's really all about, folks, and what the message of Christmas and the meaning of Christmas is really all about is worship of Jesus Christ. Will Christmas this year be the time where we truly humble ourselves and bow in reverence and respect and acknowledge who Jesus really is? Because that's really what Christmas is all about. That was the response of the wise men. Let us come And bow before Jesus as well and worship Him every day of our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this group of Gentile travelers who went on a journey. And we're willing to go on a journey at great cost to them and so far away because their sole desire was, we believe with all of our hearts that this young child is worthy of our worship, that this isn't just another baby that's been born, this is the Messiah This is the Christ. This is the Lord of the universe. This is the one who created me. This is the one who sustains me. This is the one who has eternal life within himself and who offers it to all who believe in him. And so these leaders, these great leaders, were willing to come and bow in worship before a child. God, what about our life? Help us, God, and protect us from becoming like chief priests and experts in the law who have all the scriptural addresses down and know a lot of Bible information, but it never really affects our life and our heart. We still live life the way we want to, with God sort of on the fringe. Sort of indifferent. Even though we have it in our head. And protect us, God, from becoming like Herod. A man who was so filled with fear of wanting to keep his position and his power that he was willing to go to any length to preserve it. He was paranoid. He was frustrated. He was bitter. And he was angry because he never was willing to come and settle his life with you. It had to be on his terms, not on yours. God, may we not be like that. May we be like these wise men coming before you, bowing in worship, and offering you what is of greatest value and worth to us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.